0: And I want to begin chapter 5 by doing a little outline for you. I hope you've been following along every week. So you read, chapter, you, you read Luke 5 for this week. Next week, we're going to have a little something different. And so then, then let, chapter 6 will be the week after. But um, chapter 5 of Luke, I want to begin by doing a little outline of chapter 5 because I want to point something out that I'm not going to talk about. That make sense? I want to point something out because I wanted to preach the whole sermon on this one point, but I felt I should deal with something else. But I just can't go through chapter 5 without pointing out something from chapter 5. And it's something I want you to take notice of. And on your own, I want you to think about it. I want you to spend some time interacting with it um, so that it can affect you. So if we were to outline chapter 5, we could basically break chapter 5 down into four distinct stories um, where Jesus interacts and ministers to people in unique, in unique and different settings. The first story is a story of, of, of Simon Peter, who Jesus is teaching on a lake shore, and he gets in Peter's boat because the crowd's too big, and Jesus says at the teaching, go out a little further, drop your net, and they catch that huge catch of fish. That's the first story. second story is a story about a leper who knows Jesus as the healer, sees him there, and he cries out, if you're willing, would you heal me? And Jesus says, I'm willing, and he heals him. The third story is the story of the man that's paralyzed, and his friends pick him up on a pallet, and they can't get in the house where Jesus is, so they rip a hole in the roof, and they drop him down, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and the Pharisees all get mad. Well, how can you forgive sins? And he says, to prove that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I'll say to you, pick up your pallet and walk. And the guy's instantly healed, gets up, and walks out of the room. The fourth story is the calling of Levi with Matthew, um, having, uh, having just sitting in his tax booth, and Jesus walks by and calls him and he follows him. And it tells us the story about how Levi then has a party with all his sinner friends, and they invite Jesus in, and all the ruckus that causes with the religious crowd because he's eating with the, with the sinner friends of, of the tax collector. So, four stories on how Jesus interacted with people um, and ministered to them in each of these unique situations. Now, the reason I'm pointing it out is because right in the middle of the four stories, there's a short commentary about Jesus, two verses long, verses 15 and 16. And there is something in these commentaries that I want to point out to you so you can consider it, that you'll circle it and you'll come back to it maybe this afternoon and you'll just sit with it for a while and you'll allow it to speak to you. And Verses 15 and 16 say this. But the news about him was spreading even further. It's about Jesus. And large crowds were gathering to hear him and he healed uh, and to be healed by, of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Verse 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Remember something. Scripture includes everything it includes on purpose. And there was a reason that the Spirit inspired Luke to ins- include this in the middle of these four stories about Jesus doing miraculous ministry and healing. And I think it's this why. Because he was showing us the importance of solitude and prayer in our lives. The importance of getting alone with the Lord and talking with him and listening with him and just being with him. In fact, I believe the reason that this is included in the middle of four stories is to show that the reason that Jesus could do what He did in each of these distinct situations is because His spiritual well was full, and His spiritual well was full because it says He often went away to a solitary place to pray and to be alone with the Father. I think this would be a great section of Scripture for all of us to take this afternoon and sit with this, this night, today or this week, and ask the Lord... What should this say to my life? That if Jesus ministered, ministered, got alone in solitude, ministered, ministered. So you could say work, work, raise kids, raise kids, minister, work, whatever. Put them all together, that in the middle of it, it says something that the spirit had Luke include that Jesus often got away in solitude and prayer. Matter of of fact, it didn't say he often went to big charismatic church meetings. He did be in the crowd and do ministry. But what it pointed out is that he often got alone with the Father and talked to the Father. And I think what I want you to think about is what should this example say to you and me about how we can have full wells to face whatever we face, right? So I would say this, because some people have come up to me in this last couple of minutes and said, uh, you just need to leave. And I appreciate it and I understand it and it, and it makes sense. But I'd say this, how can, you, how can you just walk through things when things are messed up? And not know what to do, because you've been. Because this week, Monday, I spent all day in solitude with the Lord. How do you go through things and not overreact and, and react badly? How do you do it? How do you minister unique situations? Not that my well is like Jesus, but the key is that we often are alone in solitude with the Lord, and that fills our spiritual wells up. And from a full spiritual well, then we can give out. But you know what? You can't give out what you don't have. That makes sense. So that's that's a freebie, not part of the sermon, and so I want you to, to to circle it and come back to it this week and ask the Lord, what does it say to you? Not what Mark say. what does it say to you? Is that a deal? All right, so let's move on. So in chapter 5, we have these four stories um, with this commentary about Jesus' practice of solitude and prayer in the middle of it, and... My, my question is from the stories, what is it from these stories that we should focus on today? Four distinct stories. Well, there's something that I want us to see that is in two of the stories that brings up a question that is really important for each and every one of us in this room. Every one of us in this room, the question is. And the question is this, where are you in the process? Let's say this together. Where are you, where are you in the process? In the process. Where are you in the process? I want you to file that away and think about it and say, what does it have to say to me? Where am I in the process? Now we're going to come back to that. And you're going to understand what I mean about that in a few minutes. So let's read part, um, part of the first story. We're going to look at two stories today. Let's look at part only of the first story. And then we're going to read all of the second story. So look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at Levi's story. Notice this is Matthew. Levi is Matthew um, story, verses just 27 and 28. So ready? 5, 27 and 28. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. We am going to stop right there. Now this is an amazing story to me. Maybe one of the most amazing stories to me in all of the Bible. And maybe it's because what it doesn't say, because maybe there was more to it that isn't included, but maybe not. This is why it's amazing to me. Here we have Levi, a tax collector, who is hated by his... He's a Jewish man who embezzles money, basically, from his own people to serve the nation of Rome, to collect taxes, and he's working for the Romans. He's sitting in his tax booth, and he's extorting money from his own people for his own gain. He's hated, kind of a man without a country. And Jesus walks by, looks at the guy that everybody despises, and says, follow me. Now, that's not the amazing part to me. The amazing part is that it says, what's Levi's response? He left everything behind and followed Jesus. We know from Scripture that Jesus renames Levi Matthew, And Matthew, that day begins following Jesus, and he names him Matthew, and he becomes one of the 12 of the inner circle. And eventually, he is martyred, history tells us, for preaching the gospel. This guy who was in a tax booth one day, Jesus walks by, says, follow me. He follows Jesus, keeps following him through his life, ministry, life, death, resurrection, keeps following him, and eventually is killed for his faith. Jesus walks by and just says, follow me. And Levi leaves everything behind, his job, his possessions, his position, everything, and he follows Jesus until he is murdered. Well, that's an amazing, miraculous story to me. Total life transformation from an encounter with Jesus. And I want us to understand something. Matthew's story is not unique in Scripture. The Apostle Paul was similar to Matthew. One day he was killing Christians and arresting Christians, And he has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now, admittedly, a very dramatic encounter. And the next day, he's following Jesus and preaching the gospel. Total life change, left everything, followed Jesus, and eventually he's killed for his faith. So that's the story of Levi. So you can file that away for a couple minutes, okay? Now let's look at Simon's story, Simon Peter's story. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's read his story. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John the sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, "Do not fear. Come now, uh, come now. On you, you will be fishers. Catch be. You will be catching men from now on. You'll be catching men." And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. And followed him. Now, notice something about this story compared to Levi's story. The outcome is exactly the same. They left everything and followed Jesus. But I want you to notice something in the Simon story that's not in the, in the, in the Levi story, and maybe it's just excluded, or maybe Luke, Levi's story was a little bit different. But in, in, in the story with, with Simon, we notice a process taking place. In his case, He goes through a process very quickly, but he goes through a process and and this is what I think is important. I think it's really important to recognize the process as delineated from Luke in the story of, of, of Simon Peter because I believe it's a process that we are all to go through, we are all going through. And I believe that many of us in this room today are actually at different places in the process, where someone would want to say maybe everybody's on the end of the process, I don't buy it. I think we're all at different points in the process, and I want to help you to understand the process, and I want to see, I'll help you see where you could go in the process and to see the, the best possible end result of the process. So let's look at the process that Simon Peter goes through, okay? And what I want you to say is where am I in the process? So point number one of the process, first step. We're going to call it investigation. What do we find Peter doing in the beginning of the story? Washing his nets. He's working. He's a fisherman. He owns a commercial fishing business. And Simon Peter, at the end of a long night, he's, so he's been up all night. Because that's when they fished. He fished all night long. Came in, didn't go on, didn't work. They had to wash their nets, clean them, so their nets would keep on, would would last longer. He's doing his job. He's washing his nets. So they're washing the nets. And along comes Jesus with a crowd of people. He begins to pe- preach. The crowd so big that they're getting pushed to the lake shore. So he gets in Simon Peter's boat and they go out a little bit further, so Jesus can teach. And it says in the text, the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God. Peter was one of those in the crowd. He was listening to what Jesus said. In other words, he was investigating what this guy, who this guy was, and what he had to say. Peter had obviously heard the stories about Jesus already because they lived in a very small community, and mobs have been following them. And people are being healed, and thousands are being fed with small amounts of food, and they're all hearing into this huge buzz. So he had obviously been hearing all the stories, and here comes the teacher, and he's teaching. So Simon Peter listens. And we have to imagine, as a good Jewish man, he was wondering, who is this man? Is this man a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he for real or is he a a phony? Really, I think he's asking the same questions that we ask when we hear about Jesus. We ask, is what I'm hearing true? Is there really a God Is Jesus really God? What does this mean for me? And a lot of times Christians make the mistake of thinking people shouldn't ask those hard questions. Their kids are raised up and they think, oh, don't question what I've taught you. No, investigation is the beginning of the process. When we hear claims about Jesus, the natural response is to ask questions. What does this mean for me? That's what Peter was doing. That's what the crowd was doing. That's the first step in the process. It's hearing the claims of Christ and saying, but is it true? What's it mean? What's it mean to me? That's the first step. Then comes the next step. He goes from process to what? To an encounter. He goes from the process, from the, from the investigation rather, to the encounter. Simon is in the boat with Jesus and Jesus finishes his teaching and tells Simon to go out in deeper water and let down his net. And Simon knows it's a total waste of time. It is, it's a total waste of time. He has fished all night. He's a professional fisherman. He's fished all night without catching anything, and he knows it's not the right time and not the right place to catch fish, but he listens to Jesus, says, okay, master, he knows he's a teacher, okay, Um, and he goes out a little further, and he lets down his nets, and what happens? He catches this enormous catch of fish, so large that two boats fill up, and they actually are sinking because they have so many fish. Now notice what happens. Peter turns his attention away from the fish, this massive fish, the thing that he's been focusing his whole attention on and his life on, and he hasn't slept all night because of, because he needs to catch fish to make money to pay the bills. And he turns his attention away from the catch, and he turns it on to Jesus. Look back at 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9. Then Simon Peter saw that, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord. Lord. Notice earlier he called him master. Now he calls him capital L, Lord, Lord, for I am a, sin, I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and, all his companions began, uh, him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. In this moment, Peter has an encounter with who Jesus really is. Before he's just a good teacher, he's a nice rabbi. But it says amazement seizes him and what's he call him? Not master, not teacher, Lord. He calls him Lord. Friends, this is such an important thing to understand. And hear what I'm going to say right now, because it might mess with you a little bit. People don't become devoted followers of Jesus because of education and theology. Education and theology are super important. I wouldn't have spent so much money in my life, and currently spending so much money in my life getting education if I didn't believe it's important. And we wouldn't have a church that's highly functioning in its education to all of you through our through our formation classes. But people don't become fully devoted followers of Jesus because of education and theology. They don't come become fully devoted followers of Christ because somebody proving to them that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy or any such thing like that. People follow Jesus as a result of an encounter. In that moment, Peter's eyes were opened to a new truth Jesus is Lord. Now, that encounter can come through education, that encounter can come through theology, but the encounter is essential when a person recognizes something in their spirit Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord. He encountered Jesus. He met Jesus. And friends, this is still the case today. Obviously, we don't get to go fishing with Jesus, although I wish I could go fishing with Jesus. And see him produce large catches of fish by saying, Mark, cast over there instead. Be like, no, 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 Jesus, the fish are in the weeds. No, Mark, go cast over there. I want to show you that I'm God. We don't get that situation today. But he is still just as real by his spirit. We still experience the reality of Jesus alive in our lives. And I know this. None of our stories of an encounter would be the same. They'd all be different. But if you are a follower, a devoted follower of Jesus, there was a time. When you experienced something of what Simon experienced, you recognized Jesus for who he really is. And you went from he's somebody i investigating to he's Lord. It's a mystical thing. It can't be bottled up. It can't be manufactured, although a lot of churches try. But Jesus still makes himself real to those who investigate him. It might be through some spiritual encounter, it might be through some kind of some internal revelation, it might be through studying scripture and listening to a sermon. But we have an experience that goes beyond education, it goes beyond just the brain and the mental and it's mystical and it becomes real and we realize Jesus is real. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is God. There's an encounter and you walk away knowing that Jesus is Lord. Never, it doesn't say you're never going to question again. But you know you have an experience. Something in your knower knows. Now the next part of the process may almost be simultaneously with the encounter. And it's this. It's self-realization. Um, self-realization. Look what Simon saw. When Simon saw the truth about Jesus he also saw the truth about himself. What's he say? Go away from me. I'm a what? I'm a sinful man. When we have a real encounter with Jesus, we recognize that we are lost and in need, and we need the help from the Lord. Listen, church. That is the position from which Jesus will always respond to us when we recognize our need in light of who he is, and we say, help. In one of the other stories in Luke chapter 5, that's exactly what we see. That's what the leper experienced from verses 12 through, through 14. That's what the leper experienced. You know, the leper, you know, he was in a desperate need. Literally, his flesh was rotting away from his body. He was shunned by society. He was completely desperate. And he calls out to Jesus He didn't say, hey, Jesus, preach me a sermon. He said, hey, Jesus, if you are willing, I know who you are. You can make me clean. I know I'm desperate. And Jesus responds, I am willing to be cleansed. Part of the process of becoming a devoted follower of Jesus is recognizing your need. And I think this is a problem for a lot of people. I think, for a lot of people in our world today, maybe even some in this place today, you've heard about Jesus. You've had an encounter with his reality. You know he really is who he says he is. But something inside you, pride inside of you, says, you know what, but I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. I don't really need any help. The reality is, if that's the case, you won't go any further in the process. This is your, that's the stage you'll stay at. You'll end up living with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. And let me tell you, that is a miserable place to be. No satisfaction from either direction. One foot in each side of the world. We need to recognize our need and call out to Him. We need to, what do we need to do? The last step. We need to respond. We need to respond. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. The right response that, to investigating and having an encounter and a self-realization revelation that I'm in need, the one that takes you to where, you're, to where God really wants you to go is this kind of a response. Number four is response. They went all in. They lived in the reality of the kingdom of God. They left their past behind and started new life in Christ, and it was a change of life. An encounter with Jesus led to a response that changed their life. Not only they experienced, but I want to go again to who we mentioned earlier to the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul talks about this exact situation in his life. Turn in your Bibles if you would to Philippians chapter 3 with me. And look what happens. Well, this is a picture of a guy saying, I'm processing how I went all in. I'm processing how I don't want to live at one foot in the world and one foot in, in, in the kingdom of God. I'm processing how I've got to give up the past to go into the future. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul has just talked about how he has had it all. He had it all. He was a, basically a superstar in Judaism. In verse 7. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered a loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Once you go all in with Jesus, what he's showing us, what Matthew showed us and Peter showed us, is that the rest of the things in this world really begin to lose their value. Paul says this, he said, I count them all as garbage. He is saying, life with Jesus is so much better than anything this world can offer. That's the end goal that that the Lord has for us. He's saying, come along the process. A lot of times we stop short. We stop short and before going all in with Jesus, which means giving up some stuff, giving up some way of thinking, some, some activities, some, some engagements, some value systems, which these guys gave it up. Think of Levi, man, he gave everything up. Think of Peter, he gave everything up. But they went all in, and when they went all in, they, find, they found what, what was the gift that God offered to them, life abundant. Can you see the process? Investigate, encounter, self-realization and response. And my thought for us today as we're closing is, can you see the process in your life? And can you be honest about where are you in the process? And maybe if you're saying, if I'm honest in the process, I'm not really all in, Ask this question, why not? What thing seems more valuable to you? What pursuit is more valuable to you than going all in? Paul looked at all his accomplishments, all his success. He said, it's garbage. Doesn't mean we got to, he's not saying here sell everything and live in a hole in the ground and have, it's not what he's talking about at all. He's just saying all those value systems, all that stuff, all those things that I used to pursue, they're no, I don't. They don't have value to me anymore. He said all has value now is, is knowing Christ. So the question is what's holding us back from going all in? What we see here from, from Levi, from their life, his life story, and Peter, his life story, is that real life is lived in response. They left everything and followed Jesus, living Jesus' way from that day forward. I thought long and hard about how to end the sermon with saying all this today, and this is how I want to end. I'm going to, we're going to end with a couple minutes—about two minutes—of silence, except for Pastor Mitch playing the piano. And here is what I want you to do, all of us, in this two minutes: is so I want you to ask God to show you where you are in the process and be honest. It's not about me, it's for your sake. Where are you honestly in the process? Are you honestly in the all-in stage? Or are you still in the investigation stage? You don't even know Christ yet. That's okay. Everybody's got to come through the process. Not everybody and fulfills the process, but we all got to start in the beginning. Where am I really at? Ask the Lord, show me, Holy Spirit. Where am I really at in the process? And the second thing is this, and this is what I wanted to really end with, but I think they're both important. Ask God to remind you of an encounter that you had with him. Say, God, when did I have that encounter where all of a sudden I got it? And Maybe you're going to say, I haven't had that. Ask him to help you get it. Ask him to show you, it, to reveal himself to you in that kind of a way today. That in the moments, in these even couple moments of saying, God, I want to go from an investigator to, to, you know what, I get it. Something mystical. You're really who you say you are. And he can do it that quick, right in your seat. So let me invite Pastor Mitch to come this morning. I'm going to ask you just to keep sitting. In two minutes, it's going to feel like an eternity. But as he begins to pray, these two questions Lord, remind me of an encounter or give me an encounter where I know who you are, that you're real. And number two, Lord, where am I in the process? So, Pastor Mitch, if you just begin to quietly play.